Are you an HR department of one trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee, and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional, ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Everyone and welcome to the Best Practices in Human Resources podcast. It is great to have you guys here today. Um, got an, another epic episode. I'm excited that you guys are here. And if this is, uh, you know, if you've been returning and listening to the show time and time again, you guys are awesome. Thank you so very much. Uh, you're the reason why this show is an actual award-winning show and love the fact that you guys come back. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Can't do this without you guys. And today's episode is going to be full of all sorts of really great information that you guys can take away and use. Um, we've got Monty Heath, who's a United States Navy SEAL, coming on, really going to talk a lot about different elements that you can incorporate on how to set yourself up for excellence. Um, just We had a lot of fun uh, doing the episode. We did an episode swap and uh, really just solid guy, thoroughly enjoyed talking to him. And I think you're really going to like uh, everything that he said, which is phenomenal. <laughs> it's, it's, still, it's still marinating with me. Also, um, we're going to give a, t- a tribute uh, to a business partner of mine, Dave Acosta. Uh, he was on previously episode number 68 and um, going to talk a little bit about more about what's been going on with that and uh, looking forward to sharing that information with you. We're also going to talk about the different things that are happening, across, the employment law changes across the nation. I'm going to share with you later in the show where you can get access to this information. And I'm going to share with you how you guys can get my best practices delivered directly to your inbox. So folks, before we go on, I'd really like to share with you that the information that is available through this podcast is for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing any form of legal advice. You should contact your attorney to obtain legal advice with respect to any particular issue. And if you do not have an employment attorney, Go ahead and reach out to me, and I may be able to refer one to you through our affiliates program and our friends over at Jackson Lewis. If you've been a listener of the show for the last several months, you've heard me speak of my business partner, Dave Acosta, and our commitment to de-escalating the fear companies have with discussing and providing active shooter training and raising the confidence in the workplace culture. Uh, Dave was featured as a guest on the show, and his episode, which is episode number 68, uh, we titled it, what they don't teach you about active shooters and civil unrest. But what you may not know is that Dave suddenly passed away Thursday, July 30th from a very unfortunate mountain bike accident. And I want to tell you about Dave. Dave died with a full heart and he lived a life he absolutely loved. He was a family man who with his wife cultivated a family relationship with their, that was so powerful that it just, it cannot be torn apart. Together, they raised three wonderful children who follow in his footsteps in faith and service to their community and to anyone who is in need and to each other with passion and love and confidence. Dave began his career as a police officer with the Las Vegas Police Department and in a very short two years later became a member of the Las Vegas SWAT team, six of which he was uh, serving as the point man. After 10 years of working for Las Vegas SWAT, He relocated to the Northwest, where he worked in an anti-terrorism unit for two years. He proceeded to become an international tactical instructor, as well as a team leader for high-risk protection teams in Iraq, Afghanistan, Africa, and Latin America, which they conducted hundreds of real-world tactical missions alongside some of the world's most elite performers. For the past seven years, Dave has instructed over 7,000 teachers in the Utah Charter School System, on how to engage and defeat an active shooter. Dave has always been fascinated with winning teams and I've always been fascinated with dynamic people who live their life to its fullest potential. One of my favorite stories I heard at his funeral was how he would walk into a convenience store, ask the clerk what the best candy in the store was and upon that person's recommendation, purchase it and on his way out, give it to the clerk. 
and I know him well enough that he likely did it with this huge dimple grin that he just had on his face. And that was Dave, and Dave's a great man. He's a giving man, of which he committed to even after his passing. As his daughter shared, Dave's only injury was isolated to his brainstem, and as a result, he passed instantly. But the nature of his injury permitted the harvesting and donation of all of his organs, as well as both of his retinas, bones from his legs and his arms, and as well as tissue from his feet to those people who were waiting and in need. Over the past year, we developed a great friendship, one where we would actually share stories and survival tips we learned from the SEAL teams, which I have to admit was a ton of fun, and as well as our passion for helping people no longer feel helpless. He became a very good friend, and we built a solid friendship and a solid working relationship that was founded on trust, candor, compassion, and character. His legacy lives on not only in his family, the recipients of Dave's physical donation, but with the team of dedicated friends, colleagues, and supporters to keep Dave's message alive through the organization he built called Fight Back Nation. It's my mission to do just that, and with the help of some amazing people I met out in Utah to help carry that forward, I have no doubt in my mind that we are going to be successful. Please have some patience with us as we regroup and work over the next few months on moving the active shooter program forward, because honestly, after all, we have one of the best guardian angels looking over us and guiding us, and how could any of us possibly lose with that kind of love and support? There are approximately 2,500 members of the U.S. Special Operations community who transition out of active duty military service every single year. The Honor Foundation has dedicated its mission to serving these elite individuals on their journey to prepare for life once they take off the uniform. In the past few years, we've begun our own journey to reach this number, launching three physical campuses in San Diego, California, Virginia Beach, Virginia, and near Wilmington, North Carolina along with a virtual campus to reach members of the community anywhere on the planet. I spent 26 years in the special operations community as a SEAL. I graduated from THS program, I served on the board of directors, and now I'm proud to lead this organization into the future to continue assisting these transitioning service members and their families. Our dedicated team, our world-class program, and our incredible tribes of supporters are standing by to help THF alumni and future fellows and are committed to providing the best possible support system and resources to better serve this community. Our vision for the Honor Foundation is clear, to impact every transitioning service member from the U.S. Special Operations Enterprise through our programs and support, and to be a catalyst for overhauling the entire DOD transition program. It's a big task, but the community deserves it, and we're driving full steam ahead to make this a reality. If you've been inspired with what the Honor Foundation's done in the last five years, I welcome you all to join us as we craft the next chapter in defining what it means to serve others with honor for life. Guys, today we've got another awesome guest that I am stoked to have on. Uh, we recently actually just gotten a chance to get to know each other. He's a, an awesome guy. Um, we've got friends and we haven't, we finally connected after a little while. We bumped into each other at some point and got each other's business cards and didn't remember it. So it works out great. <laughs> so, but I'd like to introduce Monty Heath and have him welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Brenda. Thanks. And thank you very much for inviting me on your podcast. This is awesome. You got it. No worries. Glad to have you on. Very good. So you are talking to an incredible group of individuals who are in HR or they're working in HR or they kind of learn in HR. And we actually do have some pretty high level senior leaders that, that tune in as well. And um, you, you've got a very interesting background. Would you mind taking a minute and just kind of helping people um, bring us up to speed on what makes Monty Monty? Sure. So I went into the SEAL teams uh, in 93, right after high school. I actually joined the delayed entry program and the dive fair program when I was 16 in 11th grade, which meant I had orders to SEAL training. I just had to jump through some hoops to get there. So I jumped through those hoops. I got there, went through SEAL training at 18, 18 and 19, uh, came out to the East Coast, went to SEAL Team 2, 
this is all pre-war still, did five years there and then went over to Naval Special Warfare Development Group and went through their selection process and then the towers fell. So I was there, hmm. um, you know, in 01 and uh, we got out of there, finished our training in October. A group of guys went in there first. I got in there second. So I, I spent the winter. So I did winter deployments, 02, 03 and 04 over there. Good days in terms of, um, you know, rules of engagement and what we were doing. So, so I got some good deployments in, did everything I wanted to do, and then got out to start a family and get into the civilian marketplace. So got, you know, so got married, uh, had a family, still have the same family and wife, which is totally beating the odds. And that was the goal. And um, went in, uh, started my own business with another SEAL, a Marine and a CCT guy. And we were doing some different things, security work and security vulnerability assessments and such. And we had a money guy, but uh, it kind of fell apart and a lot of lessons learned there. You know, you do definitely learn more from mistakes than wins. Oh, yeah. Got into defense contracting, went to a defense contractor for about five years. That was pretty interesting. Learned some things there. Uh, Still didn't have much of a transition issue in terms of transitioning out of the military or SEAL teams because I was with a bunch of SEALs and I didn't leave Virginia Beach uh, because, you know, I don't, I don't know if, uh, if you're into this, but a lot of veterans have issues transitioning and that's, that's a whole nother yes. topic. Um, went from defense contracting to executive protection, did that for another four or five years, protected the eighth and ninth richest people on the planet. Uh, the perks were good. You know, we were, I was always in a Maybach or a private jet or a Hilo. Uh, but when the, uh, principal basically treats you like a slave, like there's no amount of money that makes it worthwhile. So finally got done with that. And that's when, that's when I started to give a crap about humanity at this point in time. And I'll tell you why. Um, I went to, I had this job. I was, I was uh, managing the 624,000 acre eco uh, resort Mm -hmm. and it was seasonal. And I put my family up in Sun Valley, Idaho. And I started, I was a ski bum and I wanted to volunteer my time in the winter. So I've started to volunteer with special Olympics. And I was a Special Olympic ski instructor, and that was my hook to humanity. That's when I literally started to care oh, about humanity. Yeah, because I, I, I had kind of a rough childhood, in my opinion. And, you know, I was more about blowing stuff up and, and shooting things than, than helping people. Right. So I quickly transitioned over to veterans and helping veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. traumatic brain injuries, and military sexual trauma. Did that for five years. Uh, also uh, ran uh, or was the executive director of Vet to CEO, another nonprofit that helps people or uh, veterans with entrepreneurship training for free. And uh, so that takes us to about now. And now I have my own business. Uh, it's a marketing and consulting business. I, uh, I do some other things on the side. I do some 1099 contract work for some companies. I just joined another company today, actually, a law enforcement uh, product company. And I'm going to start uh, doing BD and uh, some marketing and some sales for, for that law enforcement company. So um, that I have um, my own podcast. And I think, I don't know if I mentioned this, I'm the podcast host of, of Vet to CEO as well. So I'm all over the place. Yes, gurus out there say you should focus on one thing, but I, I haven't. And I kind of like it this way. Maybe I'll focus on one thing once I find that one thing. But, you know, after the SEAL teams, it's kind of hard to find one thing that will fulfill yeah. you know, your wants and needs. Yeah. You know, I'm, when it comes to talking about leadership, I've only had really one other guest on that is not part of the SEAL teams. I mean, cause okay. you know, I'm, you know, I do the transition work over at the honor foundation. You know, I, I prolifically volunteer in the SEAL community. So I've gotten to know, not just the individuals, but I understand the background and, you know, I pay attention and, you know, we talk leadership all the time. And so, um, so I'm, I'm, when it comes to talking about leadership topics, I like to bring you guys on because you all speak the same about it because that's how it's executed and it's nurtured and it's developed as part of your careers. And it is, I mean, if you could put together a leadership model, it's a very strong one. You know, if you were to look at it from an academic standpoint, it's very strong. And then you guys continuously at at multiple levels of anybody, you know, regardless of whether they're enlisted or an officer, 
you guys execute on that same that same level and um, one of them is really holding each other accountable on top of holding yourself accountable yeah and if you don't get if you're not holding somebody accountable, somebody's going to duct tape you to something if you're not careful. Fair enough. It's kind of part of the fun though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sure. Is that HR approved? Can you duct tape people? No, it depends on who the HR pro is. Yeah. <laughs> but you just can't fill a rubber boat up in the, in the lobby of a company and tell somebody to go take a dip if they've been unwanted, if they've done something Probably that's not, not great. Not a good idea. So you speak to a lot of CEOs. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to come up with, like, create a theme that you see consistently with CEOs and the and the individuals that you coach, nobody specific, but what are some of the what are some of those callouts? What is the, some of the things that you see that you've had to kind of work on repetitively in your in what you do? I think the biggest one is ego and what that can do uh, for us or against us. Um, Unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there that won't surround themselves with people that they think are smarter than them or that they think are better than them at something. And I think that's horrible. If you're a leader that has to surround yourself with people that you think are smart, you know, that you're smarter than, that you're better than, uh, you're not going to have a strong team. You're going to have a bunch of subservient people that are probably uh, very happy to keep their job and and will do as they say and, and be yes men or women. Um, but that's, that's, that's not, that's not how you create a great team. So I would say ego, I would say, um, you've got to be able to hire the best people around you and be secure with yourself and have those people be around you and, and train them up even more. You know, I, that old, that old saying, like, you know, what if we train people and they leave? Um, well, what if you don't train people and they stay, you know, right. that's, that's worse. So I would say ego would be the, would be the first thing. And then in terms of uh, good leadership, you didn't ask me this. I, I assume you would ask me this next. I, I don't know. Uh, but, rip. All right. Um, chaos and crisis. Um, oh, yeah. It's almost irrelevant to me how people are when everything is nice and right, you know, roses and daisies and rainbows and unicorns and, and bright skies. That doesn't tell me anything. It doesn't tell me anything when things are good, how your behavior is, how your mindset is what is important is how do you act and react or respond even better during chaos and crisis and business just like the military or combat uh, is all about putting out fires and all about crisis and chaos and the best leaders are the leaders that can lead well in crisis and chaos they don't let their emotions take the better of them maybe behind closed doors or when nobody's looking, they can have an emotional outburst, whatever that looks like. But in front of their people, they've got to remain calm, collected, and have a sense of, and and portray a sense of ease and a sense of this is going to be okay. We're going to get through this. Um, So that's what I've got to say on that. Yeah, I love it. Let's take a step back to the training piece because I think this is a really... This is a really important topic. There are so many... And if you look at small business specifically, right? Now the larger companies have an, a training infrastructure. They've got, um, you know, a system that people can go in, they can get assigned training, they can do training on their own. It's just, that's what a large company affords, right? But you've got smaller businesses that really need to benefit from training, but leaders either, they know they need it to be done. They wish it could be done, but there's just something that prevents them from pulling that trigger. And it's almost like a cost and a benefit. It seems that way to me sometimes. Now I could be, I could be dead wrong on this, but the, the cost is separating themselves from doing something that they need to do, or they think that they need to do to invest in something that will help their business. And the benefit of that is, is that it's just easier to deal with people that aren't meeting their expectations than making that investment and taking one more thing on. Yeah. I don't know about that, that mindset. Um, you know, turnover is expensive and yes, it is. Yeah. Um, you can quantify and, that. Yeah. I mean, 100% of people are going to turn over in a company or, or an organization one way or the other, right? Mm-hmm. At some point in time, 100% of people are going to leave the company, even if you own it. So knowing that, uh, and knowing that turnover is expensive, so I know there's a, that's kind of a dichotomy and a huge range, um, but I, I would never want to hold back training uh, 
uh, and just kind of deal with the mediocrity of, of what you get. I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't subscribe to that at all, but you're right. It, it, you're saying to, you're, you're asking somebody to spend money, to spend time and money, you know, you're in business to make money. Uh, but you're asking somebody to spend time and money in training when the, when that person could be cutting deals or making cold calls or whatever it is that they do to generate revenue. The generation of revenue is temporarily turned off, but it's a long-term thing. Right. It's, it's, it's not favoring the short term for the long term. I mean, are you in business to be in business next month or five to 10 years from now? You know, mm-hmm. it's the so long it's an game. investment. It's an investment in time and money that has to be done. Well, take a look in your career. I mean, the teams wouldn't have been nearly as efficient and as effective as they were had training not been in place. You know, I was just, um, I was talking to a lacrosse team yesterday and they're, they're um, probably top 10 lacrosse teams in the country. And we were, we were talking about this. And I made the, what I explained to them, and I saw a big bunch of eyebrows was um, to get to Naval Special Warfare Development Group, you have to go to a normal SEAL team for five years. And then you have to go through another six month training process. And then when you get to your team, you train every day. You, You never arrive, you're never good enough. Yeah, sure, you're good enough as a human being, but you're not good enough at your craft. You can always be a better shot or a better parachute jumper or scuba diver or whatever. So yeah, train every day. We used to train every day, every day. Yep. It's nonstop. I mean, but that's the thing is, you know, you're never going to be as good as you were. What's the phrase? You're never going to be as good as you were yesterday if if you're, you know what I'm talking about. Basically complacent. (laughs) Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Complacency kills not only in in the SEAL teams, but other professions as well. And it certainly kills business. You know, yeah. and, I'll, and I'll, I'll bust myself on complacency. There was a huge chunk of time where I told myself, I'm not getting shot at. Nobody's trying to kill me right now. What does this really matter? Like, I don't want to go to this meeting. I don't want to attend another two-hour meeting that could be a 30-second email. And, uh, and that's complacency, you know? Yep. That's complacency in the workplace. Yeah. And sometimes it's hidden behind the conversation of, is this going to help us get to our goal? Right. It's it. And I've seen that happen. It's easily dismissed. Now, um, in your show, we talked about my, who my favorite mentor, like who my favorite bosses was. And that was Tom. And this is when I worked for a national auto dealership. And everybody has really great ideas. I mean, people really do have good ideas. And they would come up to say, hey, Tom, I got an idea about something. And Tom would always say something very, very specifically. And, and he required people to measure their idea up against what he was about ready to say. And that is, that idea do you have? Is it going to help us sell more cars? And you and I both know that ideas can turn into work, which is just simply more work. And it doesn't necessarily move the needle on the objective, right? Mm-hmm. And if they couldn't say yes, and here's the reason why, it was not something that we pursued. But yeah, I yeah. think complacency gets dismissed because they're not asking that question. Is it going to help us get to X? Is it going to help us bring in more Y? Is it, you know, is this supporting what our number one business objectives are? And if it's not, then it makes sense. Then it's not complacency. That's just keeping the ball in play on the field appropriately. Yeah, that's just watering down your brand or, or, or mission creep, doing things that you, ought, that, right. you, you know, that you shouldn't be doing. Right, exactly. So that brings me to another conversation. We're starting to have this discussion in the community that I oversee. You know, we have the Next Gen Women in HR community. And one of the topics is, is kind of starting to bridge that gap. And not necessarily that there's a relationship issue. That's not where I'm going with this. Where I'm going with this is, is that you know, HR people are, are working towards something and CEOs are working towards something and they, they really are. And they say it's lonely at the top as a CEO. They're not kidding. Well, it's, we're right there with you as HR because there's, we can't really talk about stuff, you know? Right. So when we get to that point, there are two individuals working for yet somewhat of a similar goal, but they, they, see, the, the, they see the path forward in, in a different light, you know, a different approach to it. And one of the things that we're talking about is, do you really truly understand what the business objectives are of the company? So with you and your growing business, now I know you're not there yet, but start putting yourself, if you would, in that position to where you're starting to consider, it's like, 
okay, I'm hiring people. I need to put somebody in an HR. Never had an HR department. The only HR I'm familiar with is the Navy. It's not very effective. Just saying. <laughs> that, talk about no people. I hear that all the time with the, with the, with the SEALs. Um, it, but what is going to start as a CEO going through your mind? What do you need? What do you want in order for those who are working in this arena with somebody that's never had an HR position before, really hasn't worked with an HR person, you, you know, you're a very strategic thinker. What would you need to put in place? What would you see would be a value to put in as a very first time HR person into your company? Yeah. Um, and this is new for me because I have not hired an HR person. Oh, good. Um, Pop quiz. <laughs> yeah. I would say someone, I need someone to keep me on track. I need someone to keep me from stepping on my own toes and um, screwing myself up and screwing our business up. With that said, I am not a rule follower. I'm not a rules-based person. I'm a principle-based person, right? right. Um, you know, if I come to a stoplight at 3 a.m. and there's no lights around, I'm not stopping, right? To me, uh, a stoplight or a stop sign is not meant for you to stop. It's to mitigate, mitigate accidents. And if there's no other car to hit, I'm not stopping. With that said, if I get the ticket, I can't whine about it, <laughs> right? So, Accountability. So, yeah, accountability. So I would want to work with a person um, that, you know, yes, we have to work within the rules and these are the rules and they're pretty clear cut. There's some gray area over here and some gray area over here, but the, but this right here we can't mess with. And I would say, okay, we're not going to mess with that. Um, but when I come to you think, with things or, you know, things arise, I would hope that you would keep principles in mind and the principles of X, Y, and Z and not so much be rules-based um, because uh, my mind doesn't work that way. With all that said, maybe I want somebody that's rules-based to offset the fact that I'm principle-based and maybe we'd make a good team together. So I'm a principle-based person. You're a rules-based person. Maybe we can come together and work together well. Uh, does that, is that a good start? No, I think that's a great start because you said, you said it earlier. You would want somebody in place to help you so you're not stepping on yourself. What exactly mm -hmm. does that mean? Getting out of line with humans or business or, uh, well, here's an example. So just the other day, I took on uh, a friend's company and they have a commercial that is very controversial and uh, very in your face. Are you familiar with Black Rifle Coffee Company? Mm -hmm. Okay, so they're killing it. Yep. Their model is basically, um, you know, F you, we're all about the Second Amendment and guns. And if you don't like it, you know, don't drink our coffee. We're about veterans and guns. The problem with that is it cuts off half the country. Yep. But the good side is the half the country that likes their product are raving fans. Oh, so yeah. To, highly dedicated. Yeah. You have to weigh it. Do you want to you want to cater to the entire country? Uh, or do you want to go niche and, and just cater to your target market? That's a strategy thing. You know, sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't. So, so I helped this guy out with this commercial and I shared it, uh, but it's really controversial. And if I had an HR department, they would probably tell me, dude, uh, don't do that. Don't, don't take that commercial on. Don't take on something so polarizing, so divisive. Um, because your message isn't divisive. Like I, my podcast is about growth and helping people and, and, and having people be able to pull something from, from the content and the people that I, I interview so they can better themselves. Right. I'm not, a, I don't want to be super political, even though in my personal life, I'm pretty darn political and pretty darn Got set it. in my ways. Right. Um, but business wise, business wise, I don't want to be that way. So that's what I mean is I would want the HR person to keep me on track um, with other people, with other companies, with communications, with internal communications and external communications and things of that nature. Got it. So what, and we had a very interesting conversation in your podcast talking about teamwork. Yeah. And I think this is actually, I think a really intriguing conversation. What do you see as important traits to teamwork? If you were to set this value up and I'm going to, I'm going to, wrap this up after you answer the question. What do you see are very important traits in teamwork? Yeah. So teamwork is huge teamwork. And I, what I mean by huge is, is I think it incorporates a lot of words. Like I don't, you, you asked me, you know, or, or you made that the comment about summing it up in one word and it's kind of an impossible thing. Um, I, I'd say selfless. I'd say selfless. Um, you cannot be selfish in a team. You have to be selfless. I'd say you have to have a growth mindset, a mission focus. You have to 
focus on the, the task at hand, the mission, uh, not so much your, um, your emotions, not so much your personal uh, desires, whether you're hungry or cold or wet or, or pissed off or sick of this or sick, you know, all those things are very relevant in, in a team environment. And, you know, your supervisor or me or whoever it is ought to know those things about you so they can, they can plug and play and, and put you in the right position and, and check up on you and, and make sure your, your, you know, your mental health is good. But a mission focus, a focus of this is the goal and anything that gets in our way is irrelevant and we are going to drive forward and complete this goal come hell or high water. Yeah. No, I think that's great. So when we talked about the teamwork aspect of it <clears throat> is that I was giving an example that if, if you're facilitating an exercise and you see that teamwork is not solidified, one of the questions that I think people should ask is, well, what is your definition of teamwork? Because yeah. teamwork is very loosely defined and depending on where you come from, you know, if you grew up very independent like me and I wasn't part of a lot of teams, teamwork looks so different to me than it does to somebody, let's say, who played football or was on the swim team growing up or, you know, played play basketball or baseball or softball or whatever, right? All the ball games or was in the band or something. It's like it, every, every team has a, different, has a different DNA to it. And unless you help people understand what that DNA is, like for some people, they may be you know, communication could be the top piece, their number one priority or, you know, promptness and getting your work done on time and, you know, not being a slug, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever, you know, for me, it's competency. It's always been competency. You got to be competent because I have to rely on you. I don't care if you're late. I don't care if you get your work done. That's not on me. But in order for me to get my stuff done, I need everybody to be competent. Yeah. But that, but but doesn't mean that we all look at teamwork the same way unless we clearly define it. I love that you even asked the question because you, because it is subjective and a, and a lot of things in life Completely. are subjective and we think they're not subjective because we feel so yes. strongly about our opinions and our biases, yes. but it is totally um, subjective. And what we have going on there, if we don't talk about it is a covert contract. I heard that term on, on uh, Art of Charm years ago, covert contract. And a covert contract is basically when two peoples have expectations of each other that they haven't discussed. Yeah. And you're completely unaware of, you know, if you and I are working together and you, we have a, some covert contracts in place, you're expecting me to do X, Y, and Z. I'm expecting you to do A, B, and C. We haven't talked about it. And guess what? We're both going to be frustrated and we're not going to be happy with each other because no. we didn't communicate, because we didn't talk about those expectations. We didn't right. define it. Yeah. And that's that moment where you literally have to take yourself up and out of the situation. It's like, if you remove Brenda from the situation, what is everybody's mindset, thought process, philosophy, right? This is a form of empathy. This is a total, this is a different form of empathy and it requires, you know, emotional intelligence. Yeah. And a lawnmower that goes by. It's <laughs> summer. What do you want? But, um, you know, and if you're not having those conversations between the CEO and you as a practitioner, or even if the CEO isn't acknowledging it, or it doesn't matter who leads it, if you're getting, like, if I were to work with you, and if I didn't understand something that you were working on, I know, I know enough to be able to say, Monty, what is the objective of this? Or, if, you know, look, CEOs, they, they delegate. That's what they do, right? They shouldn't be doing minuscule tasks. That's why they have employees to do tasks that a CEO needs them to do. And so they delegate, but sometimes they delegate without, they just like, I just need this to get done here. I need you to do this. I need this to get done here. I need you to do this. And it's repetitive. And all of a sudden you're eating a lot of CEO lead that's <laughs> coming <laughs> down at you. And you have to take a step back and say, I need you to help me understand what is the top priorities here? Because you've, you've thrown a lot at me and I can get it done. But I want to make sure I'm doing it in, in what is today's priority because I've got conflicting priorities. I've got employees with problems. I have, you know, people are calling up. Now I've got a benefits thing issue and, you know, Tommy Joe, he hasn't shown up for work for the seventh day in a row and we got to figure out what's going on with him. And, you know, we got somebody with the whole COVID thing that's out. I got a lot of competing priorities. So I need you, I need you to help me understand what that is. Yeah. Prior, prioritize and execute. Yeah. You know what? You, you touched on some things there that I'd like to touch on. Sure. Uh, empathy, emotional intelligence. 
CEOs in general, I mean, when you're at the top, it doesn't matter what the executive director, CEO, president, whatever the, whatever the yeah, term is. Apex leader. Apex leader. I think what's most important, one of the things I do train people on, and I have trained people on in the past, is communication, specifically the difference between subjective and objective. And if you don't talk about it, if you don't think about it, most people, you know, um, you know, is this a pencil? Yeah, that's a pencil. Is this pencil too short? Well, that's, that's the subjective part, right? And people don't understand um, in their day-to-day language when and where they're being subjective and objective. Yes. So if I were to say to you, you're always damn late. You, you never show up on time. You know, I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. Like almost everything I said there was subjective and it's not giving you, it's not giving you anything other than me venting. But if I said, Brenda, we had a meeting at eight and you showed up at 845 and yesterday we had a luncheon with a really important customer at noon and you showed up at 1207. Can you tell me why you don't value my time or this company's time? Uh, and, and even, even me saying, can you tell me why you don't value this company's time is, is iffy and subjective. That's subjective too, right? Yep. And the point of all this is when you speak to people objectively, you don't send up their defense mechanisms. You don't make, the, make them. You can't make anybody anything. They don't get defensive. Um, when you speak objectively, there's nothing really to argue about. You can't argue about objective facts. You can't argue about showing up late, screwing up, a pre- or not screwing up, taking a presentation that should have been X, Y, and Z and making an X and Y. Um, you, there's nothing to argue about. But when we go subjective is where we get into trouble. And we, um, what I would say is you have to navigate those landmines and stay yeah. objective so that we don't send the other person off and have them be defensive and, and now the situation's worse. Yeah. And you know, that's a huge discipline. That is a huge discipline and you have to just constantly practice it all the time. Yeah. My favorite phrase to, to stay objective when I don't, when I don't see what's going on, like we talk about the attendance issue, right? My favorite thing is help me understand what's going on. That's the first place you start. Help me understand what's going on because it could be, they've got school issues. They've got, you know, they could be taking on now they have a parent living with them and that's a new family dynamic. You know, life happens and work is just work, right? But yeah, we do need people to do work at the level that we need them to do it at. So you got to figure out solving the puzzle. And it's like one of those sliding pieces until the whole picture comes into, into its appropriate place. So help me understand. And then if it's just somebody like we had one years ago, Uh, that I was consulting to that he made a stop at McDonald's every day on his way to work. And I said, okay, so I'm not telling, I'm I'm saying, don't, let's not tell him that he can't stop and have breakfast. But I said, ask him this question. What are you going to do to fix this so that you get here on time? The guy had no idea. Maybe (laughs) leave earlier. (laughs) He just had no clue. He couldn't come up with an answer. And, and, I, and they call me back and they're like, yeah, he can't figure it out. And I said, did you tell him to just leave home 15 minutes earlier? <laughs> I, like, I said, it's simple. And so the guy started doing it. And eventually he still wound up being late. And it's like, okay, so this is his problem that he needs to fix. You can't own that. All you can do at this point is just manage through the situation. He, yeah. that, he's got the skin in the game of his own attendance. And and eventually he did wind up catching on that it's not 15 minutes earlier. It's actually 30 minutes earlier. He had his breakfast and the world was happy and, you know, the dwarfs and the sunshine and, you know, Snow White came out and everything was great. So, yeah, it is, but it's just like some problems just have very simple solutions. And unless, unless we learn how to have the right conversations and even with the CEO, right? I mean, look, CEOs and bosses will always have more problems than anybody in the corporation you know that's just the nature of being an apex leader they always have more problems that is rule number one and you know if if you think your problems are bigger than the ceo the ceo was one always there to make sure that we make payroll week after week i don't know of a bigger problem than taking care of your people that doesn't demand that attention especially nowadays like literally june of 2020 yeah exactly and, you know, wait till July hits when July 31st, when we're no longer, you know, people that are out on, um, you know, unemployment insurance after July 31st, they're not getting $600 a week that goes away. So mm-hmm. now you've got 
I, I don't even think it's 25% of, you know, the Americans in the workforce right now. I think as we're coming back online and people are returning to work, it's that pretty numbers, close. I, yeah. It's, it's around it's still 40, dropping, 50, though. 43 million or so. It's, it's almost, it's up there. Yeah, it's up there, but you know, as the, as the country returns, you know, continues to reopen and people are going back to work or they're shifting or figuring something out, that is just going to be as the biggest key problem for most leaders is just making sure that that business continuity stays in place. And if you aren't in an HR position, if you're not having that conversation. It's like, okay, so I know our long-term objectives kind of put aside right now. What do you want us to focus in on? What do you need me to focus in on? And if they're not giving you anything specific, you have to dig in and get that information. You know what? You brought up a great point there. Uh, Jocko talks about this as well um, in his in his books. You've you've got to be able to educate up, and you've got to be willing to educate up. Yes. And you do Love your best, that. and you present your case, and you're like, boss, this is what I think we ought to do, and here's why. And when they don't make the call that you want. Here's what I here's what I have found that's very difficult in leadership, or maybe the hardest thing for me to do as a leader. When I pitch the case up for X, Y, and Z, and I get X and Y, but I'm not getting Z, and they've got reasons, but I don't agree with the reasons, and then I have to go back down to my people and explain, we're not going with my plan. We're not going with what we've been talking about in our meetings for the last month. We're going to go with this. And you can't poison the well, you can't let yeah. your distaste for that decision poison your people. That's not good leadership because you're, you're basically turning your people against the CEO and that's not the way to do it. That's not good leadership. You've got to take what the CEO has given you or the leader's given you, put it in your mind, roll it around and, and think how, you're, how I'm going to authentically yes. deliver this to my people. I'm not going to just lie to my people, tell them it's a great idea when I think it's stupid. But I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna think about how to authentically phrase this, yep. so that we're gonna drive forward with this decision, and we're gonna do it the to the best our ability in the best way we can. Yep, and we face that too in HR all the time. I mean, we have to render a decision that is not gonna be popular. You know, it's not how are we gonna spin it, it's not how are we gonna sell it, but how are we going to give the response that's going to keep everybody still focused on what we need them to focus in on. Because when people don't like something, they have no issue. And even more so today than it has when we were growing up is they are not shy at saying what is on their mind. And they do it, you know, digitally as well. Right. Through text, through email, through social media. So we've gotten to, I think we've gotten to a place where that becomes such an important skill set and it's about gaining buy-in that's that's what it yeah. is it's yeah, gaining buy-in and if you can't if you can't if you're not working on it you shouldn't be in a leadership capacity or a management capacity because all you're doing is just continuing to make the matter worse and all that does is it loses confidence and you know on behalf of the ceo and it makes my job a lot harder too. Just like no, <laughs> yeah, we, we have to get involved. It's not a hard shift to to you know once you can sink your teeth into the fact that you know you think the way that you think and you are the way that you are because of everything you've ever experienced and all of your experience put together. That's how you, that's why you are who you are. Once you can get past the fact that you can actually change and you know not spew this venom and poison to the people below you and call your boss an idiot and everything else and he has no idea about boots on the ground and you know sitting in his office what does he know about the, you know the stuff yeah. that goes on here right none of that's none of that's useful but once you get into your head that you can actually take what the the man or woman has said and and formulate a way to frame it to obtain buy in like you just said authentically um, that's good leadership. That's, that's going to, you know, get people to work, um, hard in, in something that maybe they don't fully agree with. But if you, and you just put it out like, Hey, we're going to go down this road. We're going to give it our best shot and we're going to do the best we can. And if this part of it fails, uh, I've already brought that up to the leadership. They know it, you know, we might fail in this spot or I'm not too confident about this part over here, or I'm not in love with this part of the plan over here. I've already said that. I don't need to say it anymore. I'm not going to whine about it. We're going to drive forward and do the best we can. Right. And then, you know, if you do fail or, or something goes wrong in that, um, you can change the plan and go with the plan you wanted to in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And one of the most, one of the most brilliant things that I've seen happen 
And it wasn't Tom that did it. It was actually another manager that I worked with years ago. His name's Jim. Really cool guy. Funny as all get out. But he had to do exactly what you were talking about. He had to deliver such a, a news on something that was changing to a group of guys that were notorious for not liking change. And, and he laid it out pretty similar to what you're talking about. But he did something that was very key at the end, and it worked. And then he said, look, guys, he says, I need your buy-in on this. Can I get it from you? Mm-hmm. And the second they said yes, they committed to it. Now, yeah. he also had a rule, and this goes back to what you were talking about with Jocko's. We call it running communication up and down the chain, right? So we, and, and I, to this day, I still maintain this practice, is that if I'm ever leading a team or anything like that, if somebody gives a recommendation, you're like, okay, that's great. Let me do this. I'm going to run it up. And usually what happens is that people say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run it up or whatever they say. And it either never happens, which is, a, which is a fault of accountability right there, or it goes up. But what very rarely happens is that the response or the reaction to that comes back to the person that made the suggestion. Right. And if you want to keep somebody engaged, you say, hey, listen, I just want to let you know, I, I did run this up. Here's what I got back. It's good news or it's, eh, you know, they're going to hang on to that information. Now is not the time to move forward with it. But if you leave them out there hanging, they do not feel valued because no. they just put themselves on what they think the skinny branches to go ahead, which is a very risky feeling to make a suggestion to only get declined. Yeah. Or, they're, they're like, why bother? I'll just, I'll just keep doing the bare minimum, keep my mouth shut. Yeah. You don't want my ideas. You're not going to get my ideas. You yeah, know? exactly. You know, and now in my number one die, you know, rule to live and die by is that in the absence of information, people make stuff up. Now they have the story in their head as to why something didn't happen. Well, they boss thinks I'm a jerk and you know, they don't want to hear what everybody says and it's corporate, you know, and got, can't trust management, you know, and all that stuff starts coming out yeah. when just simply is that message was not delivered back down. And you know what? And people respect it. They res- people will respect. No, they may not like it, but they'll respect it. But they won't respect silence. Absolutely. Yeah. So, well said. Thanks. Well, awesome. Well, this is great. So, how can people find you if they wanted to look for you? Yeah, the Full Monty podcast. There's actually two Full Monty podcasts on this planet. Mine is the one <laughs> with the silhouette of a guy cracking a whip, which happened to be me. Um, and. Um, that's uh, that's everywhere, iTunes and Spotify and everywhere else. I'm on Facebook, Monty Heath, my name. Same thing for Instagram. And uh, I got a website, thefullmonty.net, and I got montyheath.com, which is still under construction. These are all like side, side, side projects. Um, <laughs> I got a lot of things going on. But yeah, those those ways right there. Well, this is awesome. Thank you so much for joining. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it, Brenda. If you've been considering joining the HR coaching program, the time is now, especially since I've added more to the program over the last several weeks, because when you join the program, you actually receive an access to recorded HR planning sessions that took place uh, over the last several weeks and the Q3 HR planning session that was held on July 2nd in the Next Gen Women in Facebook group. Also, you get attendance to the monthly HR roundtable session uh, and the sessions that have been previously recorded. You get access to the course Selling HR to Your Boss and How to Increase Your Yes Factor by 10x for free. And you get a free copy of my audio book that uh, is about ready to release called The 17 Winning Tactics for Your HR Career. Get it off the ground and steer it to the future. Plus, you get free access to the member resource site. So that's a lot of information. And the coaching program is really helping our community of dedicated HR pros find ways to move forward through their challenges. And one of the participants in the coaching program had shared not too long ago um, that the big takeaway that she had was the HR planning worksheet and just spent time with other HR professionals who live in that same headspace that she's living in. And no matter how much is on her plate or how much she's dealing with, she definitely realizes that she is not alone. So you guys can submit your questions to the bestpractices.org website and by clicking on the podcast link from the menu and down towards the bottom of the podcast page is a submission form for you to go ahead and post your questions which may be read and answered on an upcoming episode. 
Now, over in the Next Gen Women in HR community, we are having real conversations in real time with real people, and it's an awesome group of people. We are growing rapidly and continuously, and, uh, it, and it's pretty great, this bond that is starting to happen and watching these relationships kind of cajole and, and even people who have had a lot of time on their, haven't had a lot of time on their hands and more demands than anything else um, are coming back in going, oh my gosh, I miss the group. <laughs> and it's been great to watch everybody kind of resurface. So I can speak for the group and share that we'd all love to have you join us, get in on the conversation, because right now that's really what we need. 2020, I have branded as the year of chaos. It just absolutely is. And now it's time to stop absorbing and start talking. We're well over the 175 mark and we're growing strong and continuing to expand. So jump in and join the conversation and love to have you guys there. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me in a number of different avenues. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Best Practices in HR, where I give general updates as to what's going on. Over on Instagram, Brenda the HR Lady, where I share a little bit more about what I'm up to personally. And if you'd like to connect with me professionally, you can certainly find me on LinkedIn at Brenda Neckmodel, and that is spelled N-E-C-K, like the thing you want to choke, V as in Victor, A-T-A-L. Over on YouTube, I've also been building a small library of videos that you can find me over there, and again, using my name. And I also co-host another awesome show, which is called The Real HR Show with the evil HR lady herself, Suzanne Lucas. Lastly, you can jump on the website at bestpractices.work where you can read up on the new updates that I called out earlier in today's episode. This is something that I decided to add a little while ago, getting rave reviews on it. And you can simply visit bestpractices.work, click on the podcast link, and that's where you can get this week's articles. Also, while you're there, click connect at the top of the page and get my best practices delivered directly to your inbox. Folks, thank you so much again for joining um, the summer is winding down. Some schools are opening. Some schools are opening virtually. Um, again, the year of chaos. It's just going to continue for a little while. And uh, look, just remember, set yourself up for success. Don't take life so seriously. Get out. Do things you love to do. If you want to conquer this crazy hell that we've been going through, Get out and do the things that you absolutely love to do. And I promise you, in the friends of my in the, in the words of my friend Dave, that if you are constantly giving, you will never, ever be sad. So go crush it, guys. We'll talk to you later. Bye.